Welcome to Seven Heads, Ten Horns with Klaus Yoder and Travis Stevens. Welcome back to Seven Heads, Ten Horns, the internet's only and best podcast history of the devil. I'm Klaus Yoder, and this episode, I'm continuing the Faust series and getting further into Johann Wolfgang Goethe's Faust Part 1. We left off last week. Faust had encountered the shape-shifting dog who emerges as Mephistopheles, and Mephistopheles makes a tricky escape, getting a rat to chew a gap in the pentagram that everyone, I guess, in the 16th century was using as a security system to protect their their homes. Good to know. And something that's funny is that the next scene, Faust sort of wakes up from being lulled to sleep by the sexy spirits. And he's like, what happened? And then, at least in the dramatized version I saw, there's a knock on the door right away. I guess if you look at the text, it seems that maybe there could have been a period of time that elapsed. But watching it with Bruno Gantz as Faust, it it sort of just rolls into the next scene right away. And so there's this kind of like strange deja vu or like that is a little disorienting and kind of adds to the adds to the disorientation, adds to the sense maybe from Faust's perspective of being in a dream, being in a very strange situation. So there's a knock at the door and Faust is like, well, come in. Who, you know, he's sort of annoyed. I guess he's, he's to like deal with Wagner all the time. He's just like, I'm always being bothered by these people. Like, what do they want from me? And the voice is like, you have to, you have to give me permission three times before I can come in. Funny, the dog didn't say that. I don't know. But yeah, in comes Mephistopheles, dressed as a kind of baron, a Junker, and he's here with permission to treat with Faust and to come to an agreement for terms of service. And Mephistopheles rolls in and he's like, what can we do for you today, sir? And Faust is like, nothing. Like, what are you going to do for me? Faust is really on the point of despair. He shot his shot when it came to trying to gain some sort of communion or control over the spirit of nature, like the sort of absolute spirit powering creation in last episode. This this spirit was like, you were basically a worm to me. Like, get serious. And Faust is really just wrapped up in the sense that all of his accomplishments mean nothing, that he's not happy and he feels like he doesn't actually know anything or, or has experienced anything beyond a theoretical, like, mere epiphenomenal glance. And that's, I think, part of why when he's translating the Gospel of John, he's like, in the beginning was the deed, Aman Fangwadi Tat. He rejects the wordiness of logos in the Greek. Other people who translate logos will not say the word, uh, Erasmus in the 16th century famously had it as as like the conversation or the speech. And so 
people do translate this word a bit differently. But I think the point is, is that for Faust, getting past mere words is a major theme throughout the play. But he's, he's trapped with words. He's in this, the staging with the Bruno Ganz version, the Peter Stein version from 2000. He's in this study that is like, it feels like the books are multiple stories high. It's dusty. There's stuff everywhere. You know, there's random vials of poison. At one point, Mephistopheles, Mephistopheles jokes like, oh, like what a scene of martyrdom this is. You're just wasting your life among the dust of your crumbling manuscripts and books. And so Faust is like in a pretty low place when Mephistopheles shows up. And Mephistopheles is like, look, dude, I have powers. Like we can go have fun. And Faust is very skeptical. He, he you know, he alludes to seeking to embrace death. And Mephistopheles is like, well, look, buddy, I saw you with that vial the other night and I know you didn't drink it. And Faust is like, yeah, that was like nostalgia. It was, it was, I was, I fooled myself. I was, you know, the, the sort of Easter nostalgia got in the way, basically. And an interesting thing is that the demons or particularly Mephistopheles in this play really make a space between themselves and death. In earlier demonologies, diabology, and I'm thinking mostly of Paul of Tarsus, there's a potential equation between the devil and death. In Milton, in Milton's Paradise Lost, we had that strange incestuous union between Satan and the sin who popped out of his head that gives birth to death. And so there's a there's a strong parental and ontological links between the devil or demons and death through a lot of the literature we've covered over the years here. Interesting though in Goethe's Faust, Mephistopheles even in the prologue in the that uh satire or parody of the book of Job, Mephistopheles is like, I don't really have much to do with dead people. Like I'm not, that's not where I'm most at home is with the dead. That's not my thing. And he says something similar to Faust. He's like, death is like never a wished for guest. Death is not someone you want to invite for Thanksgiving. He's just skeptical and kind of like finding it hard to relate to Faust's despair and or like desire to like try the most desperate step possible to access the absolute core of experience. Mephistopheles insists like, no, like, come on, man, we're going to have a good time. I can show you things that no one else has ever seen. He's playing into Faust's lust for knowledge and experience. He's playing into Faust's desire to turn theory into praxis. He's like, we can do that. And you should stop whining about not being able to have your relationship or power over the spirit of God, the spirit of nature, because the thing that you're thirsting for, this absolute knowledge, this knowledge of experience, this God's eye view, it only exists for God's pleasure. It's not for anyone else. And here he's speaking, especially as a demon. He's like, we were shut out of this. This is God's selfishness. 
He gets to have the thing that you want. No one else can have it, but I can get you to the closest you could possibly get without having this core of, of, of the essence of the world. And Faust is like, what? You're, aren't you an evil spirit? What are you going to, what can you provide me? I'm made in the image of God. What are you? Like some, some fuck up castaway, cast off. Like you're nothing. Like, what are you going to give me? Are you going to, are you going to bring me the most beautiful women in the world? And while I'm cuddling with one of them, they're going to make eyes and, and find someone else to be with. Like, are you going to give me fruit that's constantly just going to be on the verge of rotting as I take a bite into it? Like, everything that you give me is going to be spoiled. It's going to be an illusion. It's going to be a trick. You have nothing to offer me. And not only that, this world has nothing to offer me. You're the prince of this world. This world sucks, man. This world doesn't have anything that is going to get me what I want. And again, Mephistopheles is like sort of a little bit doesn't know what to do with this guy. It's funny because the beginning of the drama, it is of the tragedy. It is Mephistopheles making this bet with God that like I can I can get this guy to my side. But he's a little bit bemused by the situation. And he's kind of like, but just hear me out. Like, we're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> and this gets to the one of the interesting features of Goethe's Faust is that we don't get the devil's pact, the deal with the devil, in quite the same way we had before. It's a complaint that, you know, I've, I've sort of voiced in conversations with Travis and with Catherine Walker. Like, why would anyone make this deal? Why would anyone be like, okay, um, Mephistopheles, you're gonna serve me for a few dozen years, and then, yes, you can have my soul. You can drag me to hell. You can do whatever you want with me. Like, not a great deal for someone who's supposed to be so smart. What Marlowe hints at is that Faust doesn't really believe in heaven or hell in crude ways. He thinks he's he's too advanced a thinker for that. And so he's like, well, I should use these demons to serve me because all of that dogmatic bullshit that people are preaching from the pulpit doesn't amount to a hill of beans. So that's that's sort of one way. It's a little bit less clear, and it's probably similar in the Luther book in the the, the Lutheran German versions. Here, it's different, and you might even think that Goethe is trying to account for some of that plausibility gap from the earlier versions, or maybe he's doing something else. But what happens is, as Faust is rejecting the temptations that Mephistopheles is dangling before his eyes, he's like, he suddenly has, he kind of takes a perverse turn. He's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, give me your best shot. You're not going to be able to do anything that actually interests me. You're not going to be able to do anything that actually makes me happy. You can't do it. This world is a sham. You can't actually deliver anything that would be interesting, satisfying, that would still my hunger for knowledge and experience of the absolute. And so instead of a straightforward pact with the devil, we get a bet. We get a gamble. And it recapitulates the bet between God and Mephistopheles in the prologue in heaven, which of course recapitulates the contest 
I guess, again, also a bet in the book of Job between Hashatan, the adversary, and God in the heavenly court. So I think this is really critical. Like, in some ways, it seems as if maybe some sort of modern modernizing impulses here that Faust is too smart to make a bad deal. Not that I'm suggesting that moderns are smarter than ancients or medieval people in any way. But you could look at it that way, potentially, from a different view. But of course, as I said just a few minutes ago, like the bet is also very old. It also goes back to Job, which is an ancient, ancient text. So in the one sense, the bet expresses Faust's having like sort of a more dynamic agency and having a better grip of the situation and also just like and plays up his sadness in a way I'll talk about in a second but it also goes back to this very ancient form and I think that combination of allowing the bet to give us a new insight into Faust's character combined with the antiquity of the move is an interesting choice by Goethe. So the bet becomes, if you can ever trick me into being relaxed and satisfied, if you can ever get me to say, oh, it's so great having you around Mephistopheles, if you can ever just have me at that point of satisfaction and relaxation with the world, then we call the game. And in German, it's... Mephistopheles is like, yeah, we can play this game. Mephistopheles is confident in his ability to seduce Faust into complacency. But there is a contract. The whole thing doesn't hinge on a contract in terms of the the dramatic action, but there is a contract. And it's so funny, Mephistopheles sort of sheepishly asks Faust, like, I just need a few lines. I need to, you know, this is great. We're having a great conversation. I need to get this down in writing though. And Faust goes off. And here, this is reminiscent of his rejection of in the beginning was the word. He he's like, like, isn't my promise enough for you? Like, you th- you think I'm gonna back out? I'm not gonna back out. Like, this is my word, and like, you're some kind of coward if you have to be bound to these written formalities. And he's like, the the word itself, the spoken word, the essence of the promise dies in the quill tip pen, and governments and sovereigns lose all their power two dusty legal tomes like what are we doing you need a contract i thought you were like an evil spirit i thought you had power like you really need me to sign on the dotted line and like, i do and i need you to do it in your own blood and faust does it all but it's it's in this air of mocking he's like i can't like this is so stupid i can't believe i have to do this and a few things there interesting like sort of critical commentary or pushback or satire of the earlier Faust legends 
to say, you know, sort of calling the whole situation in the question. Like we need like this promise, this deal, this contract, this pact is so important. This seems outdated. This seems non-credible, incredible. He goes along with it, but he does it sarcastically. Of course, when the Faust legends and the ideas of the deal with the devil were coming about, I, as I said in the first episode of the Faust series, it had a lot to do with innovations in the economy and also innovations in interpretations of the sacraments, like how God related to human beings through ritual and through practice. And we're, we're a ways away from that now. And there's a critique of legalism going on here that, that Goethe's allowing Faust to voice. So with all this sarcasm, we might ask like, why does Faust do this? He is someone ambitious and thirsty for knowledge, but he's also in despair that he can ever attain anything like it. So like, why, why do this? And I wonder, it seems to me almost akin to his suicidal gesture that he's willing, he's, he's so in despair. He's so frustrated that he's willing to just play with his life and his soul in this case. And he says like, okay, like I can't get at that. I, you know, you know, it's unclear to me whether he doesn't, he's like, he's resigned to not being able to get at the absolute essence of things. And he's just going to sort of muck around and foul passions and phenomena and just sort of like, you know, suck the marrow of life out of spite or out of defiance or whether he still thinks that he can somehow by pursuing and living hard, like, like attain a kind of hedonistic mysticism. I, I don't know. I feel like it's. A, I feel like you could look at it both ways, and um, I would love. I would love pushback on that. But it's. It's unclear to me whether this is total resignation or whether this is a desperate last gambit. Or those two things usually go together. <laughs> so yeah, it may not be an either or. But yeah, I think it's. It's kind of a strange hail mary. That's sort of a funny way to put it. Mary is sort of an interesting figure throughout this, this uh, tragedy, and yet I'm making comparison to a famous football play. Ahem. So as they're concluding this bargain, this bet, there's interruption. A student, a first-year advisee, is at the door of Faust's study. So there's a first-year advisee there, which shout out to everyone who advises students and has to direct them through the early days of their college career. And Faust can't deal with it. He's like, look, I'm going through some big decisions here. I was near suicide. I was in touch with the world spirit. I'm making a deal with the devil. I can't deal with the first year advisee right now. Excuse me. And Mephistopheles is like, I'm your man. Just let me disguise myself as you. This guy doesn't know who you are. You're just his advisor. He's never met you. You can just chill and I'll, I'll get rid of him. And so the first year comes in and Mephistopheles Basically, it's like, well, what do you want to, what do you want to study? And starting with like natural philosophy, working through jurisprudence, theology, Mephistopheles like sort of pretends to do these, these uh, speeches and praise of these fields, but like sort of reduces them to absurdity in each of these, these, these speeches about, you know, uh, 
the law or, or, or theology or, or whatnot. More, more criticism of words and mere words, you know, appear throughout this. But then as he sort of, he sort of gets bored, like doing this and he's like, I got to play the devil again as if he weren't already. And he's like, the field you need to get into is medicine because then you can take all kinds of liberties with your female patients and the student's like, oh, wow, like that's that's part of the job. And Mephistopheles is like, it's essential to the job. And in the the Peter Stein version, um, it even shows Mephistopheles like copping a feel on the student. So there's like all of this like strange sexual harassment and like horribleness going on. All this all this sexual molestation that's being praised and also practiced in in the scene. And as uh the scene comes to an end and the student's like wow like this is great i get to do this and drink and take holidays and then i'll be a doctor he wants who the person he takes to be faust to sign his he wants him to sign like his album like sort of like almost like a yearbook but for like recording when you met prominent people and mephistopheles writes in it Eretis sequit Deus scientis bonum et malum, which is the the Latin for you will be as gods, knowing good and evil, which is what the serpent promises Eve in Genesis 3. Closes the book, gives it back, and the student scurries out. And so the link between knowledge, temptation, and the diabolic is reaffirmed in sort of a traditional fashion. But then Faust is back. You know, thank you for getting rid of that guy. I'm sure he's on a great path. I'm sure you said I'm sure you sent him off, you know, I'm sure you put him on the on the straight and narrow. But like what are we going to do now? Like what what's the first step? And Mephistopheles is like we have to get out of this place of the site of martyrdom, this 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 accursed study. We need to get into the world. And this is one of the parts I really love the most where Faust is insecure about this, the prospects of, of undertaking this, this next stage of his career. And it's like, it makes him more human in a certain way. He's like, look, like I'm a scholar. Academics, we're super awkward. We're not charismatic. This is Faust speaking. There, there are charismatic academics, but there are also plenty of people in the business who may not be the most socially adjusted or the most comfortable in intense social situations and faust is like owning up to that here he's like look like i don't what are we gonna do like i don't really get along with people i i feel like insecure in these spaces like how am i gonna manage and mephistopheles is like still in advice giving mode he's he's trying to reassure him and he's like mein guter freund das wird sich alles geben sobald du dir vertraust sobald weißt du to Leben. As soon as you learn to trust yourself, that is the moment in which you will know how to live and live the kind of life you want to live. And then they clasp hands. He congratulates him on this new step in the journey of life. And they sit down on a magic carpet and fly out into the vast world, which begins with the Auerbach Keller in Leipzig one of the oldest wine bars and restaurants in the city of Leipzig, a city where Goethe himself was a young law student and heard 
with pleasure the stories of Faust, the 16th century Faust, riding a giant barrel of wine out of the cellar with the help of the devil. That is where the next scene of the tragedy takes place. It is a moment in which this sort of seriousness of things gives way to the kind of pranking spirit of Mephistopheles. And we meet a bunch of drunken German nationalist students and rabble-rousers. And I'm not going to belabor the Auerbach-Keller scene. It's cool, it's funny. Mephistopheles messes with these dudes, he sings some songs, he gets them to think they're drinking all of these fancy wines from all over the world. Then he turns that wine to fire and tricks them with illusions. My favorite line is from one of these German chauvinists that we encounter in the cellar, the wine cellar. And he says, what he says is like, it's like hard to avoid meeting foreign people all the time. And sometimes it's necessary because the good things we need in life are also come from far away. A true German man cannot tolerate the French, but will drink his wine. It's the wine's good and it's in German, it rhymes. Man kann nichts stets das Fremde meiden. Das Gute liegt uns oft so fern. Ein echter deutscher Mann mag keinen Franzen leiden. Doch ihre Weiner trinkt er gern. I always love that. Everyone can afford to be a chauvinist until, unless it comes to wine, I guess. But yeah, the next important scene takes place in the witch's kitchen. And Mephistopheles and Faust arrive in the witch's kitchen because Faust needs some freshening up. He's going to live this life of power and lust and adventure he's like a little bit down in the dumps he's kind of middle-aged he doesn't have the vim and vigor of a young man and Mephistopheles is like well we can we got drugs that will help you get your get your groove back and Mephistopheles has to convince Faust Faust is skeptical and Mephistopheles is like okay well you want to do this without the witch's witchcraft go farm and live like a peasant and an ascetic for a few years and then you'll come back young and hearty and strong and Faust's like I don't want to do that and it was like well then we got to stay in this in this this kitchen and there are all these these apes who are hanging around and the apes in the kitchen are actually more human seeming than the soldiers and the Germans in our box keller and the the apes are making fun of Faust and Mephistopheles the entire time and telling these jokes and, you know, giving out these riddles and singing songs. And from time to time, as, as like Faust is enduring the din of these bizarre yet funny creatures, the beautiful form of a woman appears and flickers in and out of focus. He kind of tries to approach but she gets lost in the mists and he's suddenly completely bewitched. He's like, this is it. This is the, this is the inbegriff. This is the, this is the absolute, this is the ideal in the flesh, this beautiful form. This is, this is like the life experience I've been craving, or at least the closest approximation to it. He keeps seeing this flickering image that appears as Helen of Troy appears as a version of Helen of Troy. And we, we met Helen of Troy in some previous episodes. So that's, she will be with us again. And 
Faust has sort of pivoted his philosophical, metaphysical speculations and ambitions into the erotic. And he's totally beside himself. And Mephistopheles, this is music to his ears. He's like, We're, we'll get her, buddy. We got a, I got a plan. We're going we're gonna to make this happen. You're going to be the happiest man in the world. So they're, they're killing time. They're hanging out. The apes have crowned Mephistopheles. They, they are, they're dancing around him. And suddenly, the witch explodes onto the scene. And she's like, you damn apes. You were supposed to be stirring this witch's brew. It's flaming up. And now, who's in here? Who are these intruders? They've got to pay. And she comes in screaming and huffing and puffing. And Mephistopheles is like, uh, my dear, do you not recognize your lord and savior? I'm the fucking devil, man. Like, you know, and <laughs> she's taken aback and she's like, well, you don't have hooves. You don't have your ravens. Like, you're not in your normal form. It's interesting. Mephistopheles is like, uh, human beings have been no better off for there being a devil. Like, we had this moral concept of there being an enemy to humankind and divinity. And We've done away with the devil. The devil is passe. The Phantom of the North is over. The The devil with hooves and horns is a Halloween costume. He doesn't say that exactly, but that's sort of what he means. It's like, instead of having one evil one, we've seen a multiplication of evil evil ones, of evil people across the world. And he's like, you can just call me Mr. Baron. Like that's, you know, I'm like a cavalier. And if you have any doubts as to my my noble blood, here is my crest. Here is my here are my colors. Here is heraldic crest. And he like grabs his crotch or gives her the middle finger. He makes a he makes a rude gesture. And so we have a an aside here about the meaning of personified evil in Goethe's time and Faust's time here, I suppose. And the devil is like. I don't have any time for being the devil anymore. Like that wasn't getting the job done. It didn't even help human beings become morally better. Not that I really care about that, but there's also just more effective ways to go about this now. It reminds me a bit of devil's advocate, the devil's advocate with uh, Al Pacino as the uh, suave Cantonese speaking lawyer. That's sort of a little bit of the vibe, but anyway, they're here to get this elixir that's going to, turn Faust into a hot young thing and give him all the erotic power and energy that he is so lacking. And the witch goes into this strange chant. It's it's like a reminiscent of some of the rhyming nonsense that we saw in some of the older works. And it's like part of her her hocus pocus spell. Ei, Possen, das ist nur zum Lachen, sei nur nicht ein so strenger Mann. Sie muss als Arzt ein Hokuspokus machen, damit der Saft ihr wohl gedeihen kann. Du musst verstehen, 
aus eins nach zehn und zwei lass gehen und drei mach gleich. Du bist du reich. Verliere die vier aus fünf und sechs, so sagt die Hex nach sieben oder acht. Das ist vollbracht. Und neun ist eins und zehn ist keins. Das ist das Hexen einmal eins. What she says, reading out of this book of spells, you have to understand, out of one make ten, and then let two go, and make three even, and then you'll be rich. Lose the four, and now five and six, so says the witch. Make seven and eight, and now it's almost done. And nine is one, and ten is none. That is the witch's multiplication table. And Faust is like, is she okay? Like, it sounds like she's a little feverish. And Mephistopheles is like, human beings love the obscure, the contradictory. It's how they really get themselves excited to believe that there's anything real happening at all, anything powerful happening at all. Kind of a mystification critique. And when he's talking about the mystification of numbers, his main example, though not directly named, is the Trinity. He's like, people are always trying to make three out of one and one into three, but it's all a bunch of nonsense. The Trinity might be nonsense, according to Goethe, or according to Mephistopheles, but it seems that Goethe took mystical numbers and magic pretty seriously, especially since the publication of Faust One mathematicians and other scholars and metaphysicians have taken the number very seriously and have treated it as a magic square in which all the numbers of the columns in the square add up to the same sum and you can do other kinds of mathematical applications in the magic square it seems as though you can arrange the the numbers that the witch uses in her multiplication table to produce the same effect but yeah this part is taken as perhaps like the hidden key to understanding the entire the entire tragedy that there's something there's a code inscribed in the witch's multiplication table you can find whole books dedicated to it uh, i'm not going to belabor the, the point right now but it's one of these little moments tucked away that seems like nonsense and is treated by nonsense by the characters and yet it might contain multitudes and he's like okay my friend enough of this just let's get let's get to the real stuff and so faust drinks the potion in the production that i've been watching a new actor appears who's like younger trimmer faust and he thinks now that he has like the power to go attain that Helena Troy phantom who has been flickering in and out of the mists. And Mephistopheles is like, <laughs> he thinks he's going to get her. But really what that potion has done is he's going to see her in any woman he lays eyes on. So the potion gives him this invigoration, but it also... It's the suggestion seems to be from Mephistopheles. It has led him away from the actual pursuit of this ideal form. It's or he's just gonna, you know, he will be equipped to see this ideal form 
in unlikely places, you know, that can be sort of a, there's an optimistic or a pessimistic cynicism to the whole thing. And we will see next episode what this, what these Helen of Troy goggles are going to do for Faust and his, his adventures. So yeah, that's, that's it. I, it's hard for me sometimes to like totally know what each episode is going to, what I'm going to get to in each episode. But um, I'm sort of making my way through Faust here. I think I'll be able to wrap up Faust 1 next episode as we get into the Gretchen aspect of the tragedy where things get really tragical. And then I'll need some time to absorb Faust 2 and we'll be back in the Goethe, the Goethe mix. But thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. This pod is made possible by support from the Satanic Ward, Asmodeus, Mammon, Leviathan, Beelzebub, and listeners like you. Thank you.